It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live from the Combine here in Indianapolis. My name is John Schmelk. Thank you so much for being with us. It's all brought to you by AWS, proud partner of the New York Football Giants. Joined the lead off the show by colleague over here at the New York Giants, and that's Madeline Burke. Madeline, how are you? It's good to see you. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I like the approach here with the uh, hand mic, stick mic, uh, podcast mic going on. Uh, but yeah, we've got quite the day. More bench press, more podiums, a lot of storylines today so far. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always fun here. Who were some of the guys at the podiums this morning? We had the defensive linemen and the linebackers that really jumped out at you. Yeah, you know, we heard from some of the big names. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who, you know, was saying he did meet with the Giants. He said that they gave him a hard time, in his words, but then later clarified that it was more of a big brother. He felt like it was them taking an interest and asking, hey, you know, what happens if you get to New York and you're not the star? What happens if you go five games without a sack? How are you going to react to that? How does he handle adversity? Exactly. And they kind of pressed him in a couple of areas, which I think was necessary. And he says, well, I'm from LA. I'm from a big city. I'm used to those big city vibes. So, so that's kind of where he stood with that. And then, you know, David Ojabo, another guy who was pretty interesting, you know, he only started playing football just a couple of years ago. And he also talked about just the value of you know playing alongside Aiden Hutchinson he said you know what I knew I saw that he was like a top five projected guy and I thought all right smart move on my part to just get in his hip pocket and if he's a top five and I follow everything he does then you know maybe I'll be a top five pick too but he was very witty and very um you know endearing to listen to and then the bench press also we saw some of the linemen getting in there uh the Boston College linemen really impressed first of all Zion Zion Johnson Johnson, Zion Johnson led the pack 32 reps and he did it barefoot. Like he came out like a diehard scene, you know, you know, you just want to make little knuckles with your, make little fists with your toes and get your feel for the, uh, now, we should the stress, carpet. There were no shattered glass. That's true. That's true. That's <laughs> but yes. true. But, uh, so he was doing that. And I, the second I saw him walking onto that stage barefoot, I was like, oh, something's going to happen here. And so he led the group and then his teammate, his Boston college teammate, Alec Lindstrom put up 25, but he looked a bit disappointed. And apparently, uh, it was because he had tied his brother Chris Lindstrom, who uh, is a guard for the Falcons, of course. Yeah, good player. Chris also put up 25 reps. He really wanted to outdo him by one, but you know what? They're tied. So. Yeah, and then the other guy I thought was interesting when we listened to defensive linemen was George Karloftis, who yes. grew up in Greece, came over, was a water polo player. Yeah. Let me, I want to make sure I have the description of the activity <laughs> that I was able to do correctly because I was like, oh, my God, how are you able to even do that? Um, he was able to... Um, while training for water polo, he was on the U16 Greece water polo team when he was 13 years old as a goalie. Mm-hmm. And this is what he was able to do. He was able to hold a chair over his head oh, yeah. with the, his chest out of the water while obviously treading water oh, yeah. for more than 10 minutes. This is a classic water polo training drill. And I'll, I'll one up you. I used to lifeguard and watch the water polo team. And I was and you know say, those, I didn't realize you were like, oh, this yeah. is water polo. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But I, uh, you know those, like, you know when the water cooler, you go over to the water cooler? Yeah. They take those water cooler jugs full of water, and you hold it above your head as water is pouring out while you're treading until it's empty. So that weight of that. You mean like one of those big 
Poland the Springs water giant, thing. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. And they're doing that to tread water. <laughs> it's all leg strength. But to your point, Karloftis was saying, hey, a lot of guys focus on the bench press and the upper body, but he likes to focus on that leg strength. He said that's where you get your power from. That's where you get your explosiveness from. It's unbelievable. It's, I mean, <laughs> Really also, crazy. he's so, uh, I, I respect how direct he was, you know, how he talked about, uh, oh, I was better than everybody at one point, so I'm so bored with it and all that. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, and then we just had the linebackers come out and mm-hmm. some of the edge rushers, too, that, you know, they consider them outside linebackers, sure. but they're actually edge rushers. I was, I know you were over here getting ready for the show and I'm sprinting back and I'm listening to these guys, but... I thought Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State was really interesting. He went from junior college to Georgia, from Georgia to Florida State, and I thought he just came off extremely well and was just a really impressive kid. I thought he was good. We heard from Kobe Dean, uh, one of the top linebackers in the class. Yeah. I thought he was really good. What were your other takeaways from Thibodeau? Because I know there's, you know, if you talk five week, five months ago, people thought he was going to be the top overall player in the draft. Now yeah. the thought is maybe he's fallen a little bit. So. What was just your take of his overall presentation, how he presented himself, and, and just your instincts listening to him address the media? It sounded like he's a guy who's aware that the narrative on him is somebody who might have a bit, might be a little overly confident or a little cocky. And I think it sounds like he's on some level trying to correct that narrative. But on another level, I think that there's just, you know, he just is that guy. Um, and we'll see kind of what that translates to on in terms of a professional level. But, you know, he's used to being a successful player. He's used to being a star and like in the pond that he's been in. And I, I think for some NFL teams, they might have some curiosity about like, OK, well, when you're drafted high, you're going to a team that's obviously struggling, that obviously has many needs. And if how do you deal with that adversity when you're used to being the, you know, the successful star or it, it, it was interesting. It, it seemed to me that he's um, he's trying to correct that narrative, but I'm not sure he's fully aware of why that narrative is there. Right. We'll see yeah. if he does. Madeline, it's been great work with you all week. Thank Absolutely. You so much. We've been here five days. It feels like 15. Yeah, we live here now. Uh, yes. It's been a blast, though. Yes, we'll see you uh, next week as we continue on with the draft process. There you go. Here we go. That's Madeline Burke. We'll be back with Ben Solak from The Ringer right after this. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, all brought to you by AWS, proud sponsor of the New York Football Giants. John Schmoke with you, and now we're joined by front of the program. Now he's big time, and I'm still, I'm very happy that you're still welcome to, to join us. Ben Solak from The Ringer. Ben, it's good to see you, man. How are you? Uh, only so big time as the New York Giants. I don't necessarily think I'm going to get above that anytime soon. I'm doing well, man. Thank you. Well, the good thing, we have a whole bunch of people cheering for you coming on the program with the bench press. I keep timing my hits to be right around the bench press, and then I watch and I try to see when they're going to be done and get applause, and I try to get it taken right then, right? <laughs> like, oh, and Kyle Hamilton's amazing. And then they cheer, and I'm like, ah, I see, they get it, they know. All right, so how about this? You've been listening to players, talking to people, yeah. networking. What are some of the things you've walked away with here in the four days you've been here in Indy along with us and just trying to figure out what's going on with the draft? Yeah, I think that the NFL is accepting of the idea that the top of this draft just isn't that strong, right? I think I was... I was there already coming in. I was wondering if maybe we'd get something different when we showed up, right? I was wondering if we would get a little bit of juice for X, Y, and Z. And I think that teams are fine with the idea of Evan Neal early. Teams are fine with the idea of Ikemaquanu early, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. But there's there's nobody nobody's tripping over themselves to get up here. You know what I mean? And these these 
tackles who are like gonna go top three, top five, maybe would have gone top 10, top 15 in a different class. Same thing with the edges, right? Quarterbacks, we're gonna see guys go top 10, top 20, who otherwise would have gone outside of round one. So there's gonna be a curve, right? There's gonna be guys that get taken maybe a little bit before they could have. But then, what do the NFL guys always say? So wanna be nice? There's great depth, right? So right. everybody's excited for those picks in the 40s and the 50s, where you're, you're getting the exchange of that poor top of the class that there's a lot of middle guys that you can hit on. Now, no one does more film study than this guy, so I wanna to touch on the Giants themselves. But before we do that, so yeah. if you're the Giants and you're sitting there at five and seven, and let's say Aquanu's gone, Neil was gone, Hutchinson's gone, I'll even make it tough. Let's say Kyle Hamilton's off the board yeah. too. What's your thought process? What are you thinking if you're wearing the Giants general manager I'm hat? Absolutely fine with Kayvon Thibodeau falling to me. That that's that's no problem. Uh, Thibodeau had his availability today. He's a he's a he's a hyped up dude. And he's very polished. Yeah, he's very polished. He's, he's an incredibly bright dude. He's really freaking smart. Yep. And he also knows what he's about. And guys who know what they're about can be intimidating to teams, right? Thibodeau, like, has a whole plan for after football. And old-head NFL guys usually don't. They want a guy to just think about football and nothing Mm -hmm. else. And so there's a little bit of consternation around that. But to me, I don't have character concerns on Thibodeau. I don't have love of the game concerns on Thibodeau that you've heard people talk about. To me, this guy clearly loves ball, wants to be really good. He talked about himself as a... Uh, Clowny 2.0. I think we see similar testing. I'm not sure he's that level of a run defender, but in terms of penetrating the B gap, disrupting, getting upfield, causing immediate havoc, he does have that play in terms of his pass rush. And when you look at a Don Wink Martindale defense, right, you got to be able to put guys on that line of scrimmage, have them come downhill, have them hammer, have them disrupt the pocket, have them just be angry and difficult, and that's really Thibodeau. So if, that, if he falls to five, I'm very fine with that pick sending it. Now, this is interesting. When we were talking about this a couple days ago when we were hanging out near the podiums, you know, the Giants are trying to now combine two different schools of NFL offenses, right? You have yeah. Brian Dable coming from the Ron A. Howard school, and then you have Mike Kafka coming over, and he's been in the Andy Reid West Coast system his whole life. Yeah. But from what you've watched, you actually think that they're right. not all that dissimilar and incompatible. So yeah. talk, talk to the fans a little bit about so, that. So the language is different, right? Uh, Brian Dable speaking French and well, it's a language that's not like French. Russian. My Kafka speaking Russian. <laughs> right? I was going to go for another European language. That's a problem. So you got just two completely different alphabets, right, in terms of Earhart Perkins with Brian Dable and this West Coast air raid approach that, that you have with Andy Reid and Mike Kafka. But, like, if we can look at Reid's career as an example. Reid's been calling plays with the same language for 15, 20 years. Looked a lot different in 2002 as it does in 2020. Yeah, Donovan right? McNabb offense looks much different than Patrick right. Mahomes' offense. And that's Correct. because within the, the language defines what we call things, but we can choose to look different. We can choose to prioritize different things. And in their relative systems, in their relative language, the Bills under Dable and the Chiefs under Kafka prioritized similar things. Both of them wanted to be spread teams, right? When we talk about spread, what does that mean? Width of formations. We're going to get guys outside the numbers. Mm-hmm. Both of them led the, uh, were, were tops in the league in what we call four open formations. That's four receivers all detached from the line of scrimmage. No tight end, right? Who's like like tucked in, right? Dawson Knox is spread out. Travis Kelsey is spread out, right? And so there there are similar ideas. There are, are, are relationships that they can create. We're like, oh, yeah, like you guys spread it out to get this. We guys we spread it out to get into this concept. And we can bring that and bring that together. Now, we got to figure out how to get this into one playbook and under one language. And so Kafka is going to probably have to graft a lot of stuff from Andy and get it into Dable's verbiage, that can be a little bit tricky, right? That's going to take a little bit of time. Learning it for Daniel Jones might be tough. That Earhart Perkins language is rough. And then we saw with Josh Allen, it took a year or two to really feel good about play calls and adjustments and side adjustments and options and whatever. But there are there are ideas here that are similar in terms of how they spread the field out, how they want to get into their quick game, how they want a horizontal stretch that I think can get married really well, especially if 
Kafka is as bright as he's been billed as. Because we know Dable is. Dable's an experimenter. Dable loves to try stuff. If Kafka's got the juice that people have rumored he does, this could get like really cool really quick. Okay, so let's talk about what this could look like then. Yeah. Let's let's assume Saquon's back, right? You have Kenny Galladay outside, big wide receiver, different than what yeah. they had in those two systems, which is mostly you know short, quick, fast guys. Kadarius Tony first round pick last year, Daniel Jones. How do you think they meld all that together to get right. a coherent system? Assuming, of course, you have an offensive line that can hold up for a modicum amount of time. And that's that's the thing is I think that what you're gonna see in week one is we're gonna be in gun, we're, and we're gonna have Barkley in the backfield, we're gonna be in four open, right? So we're gonna have Kenny Galladay in the backside. We're gonna have Kadarius Tony, Sterling Shepard potentially coming back right on the pay cut. We're gonna have those guys be able to play if he's healthy. Yeah. We'll see. To so that three receiver side, Tony's gonna be able to use speed. Sterling's gonna take advantage of space. If we want to do Evan Ingram hype again, we can do Evan Ingram hype again. If he's back, yeah. This is right. This is the sort of offense that would potentially work for a move tight end, right? Talked about Dawson Knox, talked about Travis Kelsey. These guys played more reps detached from the line than they did attached to the line. And that's the role that Evan Ingram was always supposed to succeed in if it worked for him, right? So the the athletes make sense. You're going to put Jones in the gun. You're going to be able to run a lot of quick game stuff, which Jones has always been good at going back to the Duke, David Cutcliffe days. Also good at the RPO, always has been. Mm -hmm. One-step stuff, five-yard throw. He can zip that ball into tight windows. He can place it into those tight windows. So we like that, that, that for Daniel Jones. That works. Then we get into third and seven, <laughs> right? Because inevitably you you get a you get a sack, you get a bad run on sure. first down, something mm-hmm. happens, and that's where that offensive line starts to get stressed. And both the Bills and the Chiefs this year ran into the problem where their running games were a little predictable, right? Not not, not super strong. It's hard to be a good running team when you only have five linemen, no tight ends, no fullbacks, whatever. Uh, and so it was tough to win on first down at times. They get into third and long, and then you know they didn't have the best pass blockers at running back. They didn't have the best pass blockers at tight end. There's no more Kyle Rudolph and you know, no I think Devontae Booker is also potentially out of the building yep, as well. Correct. Saquon really is more of a scat back. You want him releasing than pass protecting. All of a sudden you get to third and seven, there's six, seven dudes potentially blitzing off the line and you don't really have an answer to that. Uh, and so absolutely that offensive line becomes the stressor. Where if you're gonna live in this spread world, when a team gets you into a passing down, you have to be able to hold up with five. The Giants don't have that right now in the front. And the Bills and Chiefs are also able to work around that a little bit because Josh Allen's a freak show and yeah. he can run around and like break tackles and Patrick Mahomes is yeah. kind of the and same Daniel deal. Jones can, but not to the level, right? He doesn't Josh have that he doesn't have the elusiveness yeah, that yeah, those exactly. guys have. Yeah. Right. So okay, that's interesting. Defensively, Wink yeah. Martindale. We know what he likes to do. Wow. He already smiled. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's going to be a fun defense to watch. What pieces should Giant fans keep an eye on that you need to add to make that system work and be effective? Uh, corner one. Okay. Corner, corner two. two. <laughs> John knew it was coming. He's just he's used to my jokes at this I point. Did, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's easy. Um, so there's, there's, there's two main things to look at, right? We joke, made the joke about the corners, but in all seriousness, Wink wants to play man coverage. You want to play man coverage? Your corner four better be good, baby. And obviously, like, James Bradbury's been a conversation this 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 offseason in terms of getting under the cap, and that's a tricky thing. But Bradbury's the sort of player you'd love to have. It lets Adore play corner two, right? It lets Julian Love rotate down into the slot, right? And you can kind of figure out how to fill out corner three and corner four with who you have. Would not be surprised to see them double dip at the corner position. Would not be surprised to see them also uh, break out from some – uh, uh, athletic tendencies, right? Like you have your prototype corners, but it, this this system can work when you go get like a Roger McCreary with 29 and a half inch arms out of Auburn. Like, Trent McDuffie, yeah, somebody yeah, like that, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. These guys will work for you. If they can stick, they can stick. And that, that's what we need. So our corners got to play man. The other thing that you saw in Baltimore under the time with Wink is with the amount that they were rushing, it was important to them to have 220 to 260 pound athletes who could stand on the outside 
blitz and be effective or drop and be effective, right? So you have your Chuck Clarks, which is their box safety, real big safety, Cam Chancellor type build, and put him on, on, on the outside of the tackle. And he could come, he could blow up a running back, or he could drop and legitimately cover. So that player is important. That and, sounds like a Kyle Hamilton type yeah. player, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then you have your your uh, Tyus Bowsers of the world, right? Who this was a guy who was a, a, an outside linebacker, defensive end, hybrid out of Houston. They took him in the second round. Nobody else wanted him that early, but they knew they could line him up on the outside. He could rush down and be a hammer, or he could drop as a linebacker and cover zones a little bit. Jalen Ferguson, you remember he ran an 8083 code. Nobody yeah. else was going to draft him. Mm -hmm. Ravens, we don't mind because we don't need that guy to get tight and turn a corner. We just need him to be a hammer because we're sending six from a bunch of different directions. So we want big, physical, explosive guys who at least we can drop and feel like they can do a little something in zone. So Aziz Ojolari, good player. I like him. Not necessarily this prototype, right? Run defender, you know. Power rusher yeah, type, yeah. yeah. So you're going to look, if you're looking at the edge rushers and the linebackers and even the safeties that they might prioritize, look for explosiveness numbers. Look for, look for guys with length and then guys who can jump, jump out of the gym. You said Kyle Hamilton, Jalen Petrie out of Baylor is another one at the safety position. Linebacker, get your Chad Muma out of Wyoming. He'll be a fun one for you. Arnold Ebikatidia out, out of Penn State. Jesse, Jesse Lucat out of Penn State as well. Both those guys at edge make a lot of sense for what they'd like to do. Is Dean big enough to play? that middle linebacker will be as Patrick Queen. Now, they're yeah. kind of, they're not dissimilar, right? Very Those two so. guys? Yes. I, if I'm being responsible, it's a big question and you don't want to take that risk. If I'm being... If you're fun? Yeah, honestly, yeah I love Nicobe. <laughs> and and Nicobe makes a, a lot of sense in terms of, of when, you, when you play this kind of chaos style, you do want an eraser. You want a guy who you can put six yards back and say he can get anywhere and do anything. And that's what they wanted in Patrick Queen. You see flashes and that never really got there. With Nakobe, that's what they asked him to do a lot. And so Nakobe, and, and, and honestly, the rest of that Georgia linebacking core, Quay Walker, Chandler Tinding, those guys make a lot of sense. Final question before we go. Sure. Way too early, I'm not going to hold you to it. Predictions, Giants, five and seven. Give me two guys. I honestly think Kayvon makes a lot of sense for them at five. Mm -hmm. And the read I'm, we're, I, I'm personally getting is that we're looking at Hutch as the clear edge one and we're Agreed. looking at tackle to be the, the pick at one. I don't know if you get Icky or Neil to fall to you. I don't I, think you do. I'd like to see it. I think they'd make that pick. But to me, I'm telling you, Kayvon at five is is I'm absolutely fine. I, I think that is a good pick, and I don't want that to be presented as a consolation prize. I think mm -hmm. that could be a lovely little steal. You're the pick of seven, right? That's I tough. Always, I always flip with the Jets and with the Giants. There's too no, many okay. New York teams with too many with picks. With too many picks, yeah. yeah. Seven, right. We start to step, step down to that second tier. It gets a little bit dicey. Uh, Devin Lloyd. Out of linebacker okay. out of Utah. Nice. Let's see what he runs. Because if it's 6'3", 225, and we're in the four fives, He's long, man. Yeah. And listen, we've seen the value of a player like Fred Warner to the San Francisco 49ers. Very I similar. Don't, I don't think Devin Lloyd is Fred Warner, but we can get there a little bit. And what he did in college that Fred didn't do is the Michael Parsons stuff, where he got put on the line mm -hmm. right in passing guard situations and showed that he can hang. Again, when we're talking about Wink that just wants to get to a third down so he can blitz every player under the sun, you watch that Devin Lloyd third down reps where he's lined up as an edge and winning, gets, that's, it gets him excited. So wouldn't be surprised to see Devin Lloyd at seven. I also think if, if they do miss tackle at five, Charles Cross at a Mississippi State ain't perfect, but I'd be willing to take him at, at, at just at the bottom of the top ten because the pass protection traits are really, really, really good. And Giants fans know that when you prioritize run blocking over pass protection in a top five tackle pick, you, you get a little bit dicey there early. I think Charles Cross makes a lot of sense for them. Let's do it again, brother. I appreciate you, John. Ben Solak. Oh, by the way, the podcast. Tell them where they can find your stuff yeah, on The Ringer. so Ringer NFL, The Ringer NFL Draft Guide, and then The Ringer NFL Draft Show, which is literally everywhere you get your podcast. We have a good time. Awesome. Ben Solak from The Ringer. We'll be back with uh, Brad Spielberger from PFF. Talk some free agency right after this.
We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by AWS, proud partner of the New York football giants, John Schmelk. Now we're joined by Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Brad, it's good to have you on the show, man. How are Thanks you? Thanks for having me. Doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, we've spoken a bunch. Haven't had you in one of our programs yet. And I figure this is a good way to do it. Fair to call you the money guy at PFF? Is that fair? Talking money. I'm hopefully making more soon. <laughs> yes, I think we're all in that same boat. Um, so the Giants are in a precarious situation. They're trying to get not only cap compliant, but then actually clear some money to, one, sign their draft class, and then also maybe Joe Shane can actually bring in some players in for agency that he wants to build his roster with. So when you look at the Giants' financial situation, what do you see? And he's said basically he needs to clear $40 million. Is that how you see it too? How do you think this process is going to go? 100%. I mean, that just gets you in the ball game to where you're then negotiating with free agents and making some moves outside the roster. Obviously made the obvious move so far with Rudolph and Booker, but I think there's still a couple more moves potentially on the way. What are some of your thoughts on some of the low-hanging fruit that, that are easy decisions that you might see coming down the pike? I mean, both guys with injuries, so it's tough, but I think Sterling Shepard and Blake Martinez, probably the next guys they'll work with. Sounds like they're willing to do a pay cut, um, like Jameson Crowder with the Jets last year, you know, work it down with Shepard, which I think is, you know, a good idea. Obviously, Daniel Jones trusts him a lot, so. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get to some tough decisions, right? Because there are different ways to clear cap space. Outright cuts, renegotiation, um, contract extensions you can do too, right? So, Trade is the other one. And when you have players that have value around the league, you say, well, maybe we can trade and get something back for this. So let's go to James Bradbury first, who has been the Giants' best cornerback the last two years, legitimate Pro Bowl player two years ago. This year, not quite as good. If the Giants look to move him, given what his salary is, one year left, what do you think the return would be in a potential trade? Yeah, you know, all the leverage would be in the other club's favor. They obviously need to clear cap, but he only has 13 and a half in, in cash owed next year, which for a number one corner is is, is fine. You know, last year the deal, I think third, maybe fourth round pick, but it'd be tough to cut him. He'd be a true cap casualty, not a guy they actually want to move on from, I would assume. Especially with a guy like Wick Martin that already needs cornerback. So ideally, if they could figure out a way to keep him, I think they'd like to. And when you say cash, and I'm just trying to explain the cap mechanics for people, that's base salary that's left, right? Because all the other stuff, the prorated renegotiation bonus, the signing bonus, that stays on the Giants cap. The base salary is all that moves, which makes the contract even more reasonable for whatever team's picking them up. 100%. Only that salary goes with. So I know it's a 21 plus you know, cap hit for New York, but that's because they're pushing money around and that's why you try to avoid doing that. Yes. And I imagine that's what, and when you, when you see new GMs come in, I tend to think they want to take their pain early right and not push the money down the road so you know usually you get a little bit of a leash and it gives you more flexibility later on well joe shane had a perfect you know situation in buffalo where brandon bean came in and did exactly that just took it all took all the lumps in one year they had over 50 million in dead money um and that's smart you know like take that you have that grace period in the first year no one's gonna hold it against you they're not your guys i think you should take advantage of that yeah and you can talk about what he did in buffalo you had marcel darius right you had sammy watkins there was one of the player I'm trying to think that was a big money guy that they was it a running back? I don't remember. There was one of the guy too. But they basically said, look, we need to get right here. And Joe Shane has been clear. We still want to be competitive this year, but it sure seems like he's willing to take a lump or two if it means in two or three years this team has a much better chance to compete. And I think it's the way you should look at it. I mean, I know it's a down NFC, maybe even a down NFC East, but don't you know sacrifice the future for just this year. Absolutely. All right, now let's get to Saquon Barkley. He's more complicated. Uh, last year of his contract, right? The Giants, if they deal him now, ostensibly will be selling low, coming off a two-injury-riddled season. So let's start with the basics. What do you think another team would be willing to trade the Giants for? Or if they want Saquon Barkley, they call the Giants. What do you think that offer would look like? 
So the thing there is on the one-year, $7 million fifth-year option, I would imagine a club would want to at least discuss an extension. You know, you want to bring the guy in on a one-year flyer and have no security long-term. The, the tough part there is I think it's probably fourth, maybe fifth-round pick. And, and just from an optic standpoint, again, not a Joe Shane pick, but number two overall pick, you're trading him for a you know, fourth, fifth-round pick. Would you rather just take, keep him and just you know see how it goes? And that's probably either a low-end four or a high-end five, right? Like you're probably not getting the – hundred and second pick right? right right yeah so so let's do this formula then if you're the giants and you're making this calculation put the optics aside we're just talking playing outright football stuff trade him now you get a set value you know what it is but you think if he comes back and is healthy and in this spread system let's see his 60 catches you know he's like an alvin kamara thousand thousand guy right whatever you look however however his year goes it's really good then how do you evaluate what the giants options are heading into next offseason with Saquon off a good year. Assuming, or maybe they would, I don't know, we can weigh the value of a second contract for a running back versus how they can still turn him into value after a good year. How do you evaluate those options? So that's the thing, too, is if he has an 1,000-1,000 season, he's going to go top of market. You say, you know, I'm a number two overall pick. Yeah, I had some injuries and whatnot, but, you know, I'm a dynamic player. I should be pushing Christian McCaffrey money. So that's the thing, too, is there's no discount, or there shouldn't be a discount from his perspective. Right. So then you're talking comp picks, right? And then you're comparing what you can get as a comp pick to what you're moving him for now. So that's kind of the calculation you're trying to make. And so that's why I figured fourth round pick, because I would think he'd maybe be a three. Again, if he has an incredible year. You'd have to have a pretty incredible year for that. But otherwise probably a fourth. And so you say, look, do you want a fourth round pick this year? I want to wait and not spend in free agency to make sure you get that comp pick. So that's why I'm at a fourth. Interesting. How much do you expect the cap to jump coming up here? I think 209, is that what they think it's going to be this year, correct? How quickly is this new TV money going to kick in here and we're going to see the cap start to kind of really up, up, up? I think 2023 could be $230, $235 million would be the biggest jump, you know, in the history of the salary cap. I think it's going to be right away in 2023. Interesting. So this is almost the year now where if you want to sign guys long term, this is probably the year, right? Because whenever you get those jumps, and we've seen this different sport, but remember the NBA, right? They had that one year when the TV money, you know, kicked in. The union didn't want to spread it over a long period of time. So it was the one year. And teams are trying to get rid of those contracts for years. (laughs) You don't want to be the team looking to spend money next offseason season because everyone's going to have money to spend next offseason. 110%. And, 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 you know, agents know that's the environment and that's coming, but you can still negotiate in the current landscape sure. and try to get ahead of it. And I'll tell you, I talked to a club guy today who thinks in five years it could be a $300 million salary cap. And that's the whole player conundrum, right? How risk-averse are you willing to be? You know, because I've seen it with the Giants, right? A guy like Steve Smith, when he was with the Giants, right, had an unbelievable year. It was great. The Giants offered him you know, a reasonable wide receiver contract. He's like, well, I want to hit free agency. I want to get more than a reasonable contract. I want to get a great contract. Then guy, poor guy, tears his ACL, and he never gets the contract. So that's really what these players end up weighing, right? Are you willing to go through another season, risk an injury, or do you want to take the burden hand instead? And most of the guys that did it last year, you look at Will Fuller down in Miami. I mean, a lot of examples, those one-year flyer guys, Juju Smith-Schuster in Pittsburgh, and I don't know if they did themselves any favors. Yeah, right. All right, let's go back to Joe Shane's history here. And if you saw him build the out the offensive line in Buffalo, it was a lot of these middle-tier guys, right? Who are some of the middle-tier guys in free agency? And, and we're probably talking interior offensive linemen because middle-tier tackles still make a lot of money mm-hmm. because it's, it's just a scarcity deal, right? Who are some of the mid-tier offensive linemen in the free agency this year that you think the Giants might be able to clear enough room to be able to go out and get? 
I think one name could be Alex Capo with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, good in that gap power system. Um, you know, can probably run an inside zone as well. A lot of duo and all those things. And I think you're not you're not pushing ten million per year on him. So it could be one of those good mid tier ads. And yes, the, the Bills were obsessed with just churning out interior offensive linemen. No, but just keep bringing them in until until someone works. Yeah. So. How much, when all is said and done, do you think the Giants might be able to clear to actually spend in free agency? So, yeah, he said 40. And I'm sure that's what they're pushing for. It's, it depends on how, how aggressive you want to get. Like you said, do you want to take all your lumps, not be competitive. But the issue is, yeah, the rookie contract quarterback. So you're, you're supposed to try to compete with that situation. You're trying to find something out about him, right? Right. Which is another argument for keeping Saquon, right? True. So you find something out about the quarterback. You know, so – the draft class is going to cost what about fifteen or sixteen million when you have picks at five and seven. Once you actually kick the other guys off the roster, it'll come down. So the, you know you got to replace in the top fifty-one the guys that are already on the. On the, on the so yeah, it's not. It won't be that high. It won't be that high. So yeah. maybe around like ten, twelve area. I think. You think it would I, take? They only get probably seven or eight, like even lower. Okay, than that. Yeah. interesting. All right, good. So you take that, then you have whatever dead money you have. All right, so that, you know, that's interesting. How long do you think they would wait before they start trying to strike? for those mid-tier offensive linemen free agents, right? Because if you try to go truly in free agency, the agents could kind of be more aggressive with you. If you wait, you'll risk losing them, but usually you wait to that second or third wave, that's when you start getting those bargain contracts. How do you think they balance that? Yeah, at the same time, last year we saw guys like Pat Elfline in Carolina, Cam Irving in Carolina, guys are getting signed on day one, even you know mid-tier market guys. But that offensive line group, I mean, you're not really hitting free agency if you're a good offensive lineman, or a great offensive lineman, I should say. So even the good guys, you're getting calls right away. All right, tell us about PFF how they can sign up and what fans can find. You guys have a great free agency, big board. You can sort it. It's great. But I won't talk about it. You tell the fans about it. Yeah, so we have 200 free agents listed, you know, all their contract projections, how they fit in certain systems, strengths, weaknesses, all that. You can find that at pff.com, and I highly recommend it. By the way, how the heck did the Cowboys not find a trade partner for Amari Cooper? It's a contract there. So you look at Julio Jones, you know, three years, $38 million goes to Tennessee. With Cooper, it would be three years, $60 million. So it's about the contract. You're oh, so he would actually be a $20 million hit on whatever team gets him. Right. So when you look at uh, trades, you're trying to get a discount. That's bigger than I thought it was. Because I guess all his guaranteed money is pretty much off the contract, right? This so not year, much is staying. $20 million guaranteed salary doesn't kick in yet. That's why Dallas is making the move now. But if you trade for him, it kicks in, you know, so. Interesting. Brad, good stuff, my friend. I appreciate it. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus. We'll be back with Joe Marino from our friends at the Draft Network right after this. We're back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by AWS, proud sponsor of the New York Football Giants. John Schmelk with you. We led off this year with Joe Marino's partner to Draft Network, Kyle Krabs. He was our first draft expert on day one, and now next to last guest on the final day is our good friend Joe. Joe, how are you, man? Tell the folks about the Draft Network, where they can find you and everything you guys are doing. Yeah, I appreciate that, John. Always a pleasure coming on with yeah. you guys. And, yeah, the DraftNetwork.com, we talk draft all year. So welcome to draft season. We've been here since last May and uh, f- excited to talk about some of these prospects and obviously a, a New York Giants football team that's really going to control so much of this coming draft. Well, how, Okay, so let, let, let's talk about it then. You have a great familiarity yeah. with Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, Bobby Johnson, and kind of the – uh, modus operandi they're bringing in from from Buffalo. How do you see that impacting how the Giants will handle not only their picks at five and seven, but manage their picks in in the you know day two and in those later mid rounds? Well, if if Brandon Bean's gonna have made any impression on Joe Shane, we know that it's going to be an emphasis on the trenches. They believe that football games are won up front and prioritizing 
the offensive line and guys that can get after the quarterback, you can count on that. Look back at what they did in Buffalo, the last three first picks that they've made in the draft, all defensive linemen. Sometimes in the second round, they'll go back to the defensive line. They've invested free agent dollars on the defensive line. And so if there's going to be some carryover there, I would expect to see the Giants really emphasize the trenches because that is a core belief of Brandon Bean, and I'm sure that Joe Shane, you can't, you you still can't find those guys away from each other. You're at you're at an event. It's Brandon Bean and Joe Shane spend a lot of time together. All right, now what flavor of defensive lineman and offensive lineman yeah. are you looking for? Because I think one thing about this draft class, and we were talking about this earlier today. Oh God, we have so many guests. I don't remember who, with somebody. And <laughs> we talked about how, especially on the defensive line at edge rusher, I think it was with Dan Brewer when he came on for the huddle. What flavor do you want? Yeah. Do you want the 270-pound guy that's going to be a power rusher? Do you want the guy who maybe is going to be more of a, a bend-the-edge guy? What's the flavor that they're looking for to, to fill out those fronts? What's so unique about that question is everything that we've seen from Brandon or from, from Joe Shane with Brandon Bean has been about Sean McDermott's defense, which is a 4-3 front. They love long arms, heavy hands, compression-style players. Well, now this is Wink Martindale's defense, and so you know Joe Shane's going to adapt to that style of defense and what he likes, which we know is burst. We know he's going to love length. Every defensive coordinator loves length, but it's going to be more the flexibility and burst and length, not necessarily and the explosiveness. Size. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think about Odafe Owe in Baltimore and those types of really explosive long arm guys. Even like Matthew Judon, right? Judon? Yeah, like he's not yeah. bendy, but he's like that power sure. rusher, right? Right, guys that you feel like – in that scheme, that aggressive scheme where you know they're going to send bodies, they want to clear that space. They want to create those runways to get these guys isolated up with a tight end or a running back, and and you can really count on him gravitating more towards, towards those long-armed and bursty, bendy guys. Okay, so now let's put the formula into the draft class, match those traits with some of the guys you think could be attractive on the defensive line first, and then we'll hit the yeah. other one. I think if you're talking about those early picks on at the edge, D- David Ajabo from Michigan, oh, man, he's an exciting player. Only played football for five years, and to see where he's at with the creativity that he has as a pass rusher, he's got a lot of different ways that he can beat blocks, and there's a lot of length. And, you know, there's there's some deficiencies against the run at this point, but I think that's a small trade-off for what this guy can become as a pass rusher. And, you know, go back to Odafe Owe, zero sacks his final year at Penn State, and you saw the production happen in year one in Baltimore. I have no doubts that Week Markendale can really get him going. And then, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon is a player that would fit that description. He's a 250-pound guy that – has a lot of burst, and, and he's a guy that with a lot of length as well. And yeah. I think when you're talking early pass rushers for, for the Giants, those are the two names that immediately pop for me. Okay, but let's say they don't go pass rusher 5-7. Yeah. and seven. This is a deep, deep class. You might have your choice of a few different guys at the top of round two. Yes. Oh, man, so many good players, uh, whether that's Kingsley and Igbari from, from South Carolina, uh, Arnold Evacchetti from Penn State. The good news is that there's going to be options. Now, you got to be careful because with edge rushers, they very rarely aren't – high picks, right? When you look at the best pass rushers in the NFL, they're guys that are taken early in the draft. And so, by the way, not just top 10, you're talking like top Early, five. early players. Yes, yeah, so correct. It, it's, it's, it always sounds good to say, yeah, we can wait on the pass rusher. No, you can't. You got to get that pass rusher, even a deep class like this. All right, now let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball then. Offensive line. Are they more, and look, the Giants might be sitting there at five and seven and say, all right, well, we can't get Evan Neal. We can't get Nikite. Yeah. You know, I mean, we can't get uh, Iquan. They're, they're off the board. That would be too easy because that's how the Giants have gone the last few years. <laughs> right. And we're looking at Charles Cross. Yeah. We're looking at Trevor Penning. Two very different players mm-hmm. stylistically. Mm-hmm. Where do you think Dable and Shane look when they compare those two guys and how they play? And 
Also throw in the fact that they have Andrew Thomas at left tackle, yeah. someone who played darn good in his second year. Yeah, yeah, I think, and just let me start there. I think one of the underrated storylines across the NFL, not just a Giants conversation, has been the growth of Andrew Thomas in year two. I think he really came on and, and became the player they thought they were getting when they drafted him. So that's been a great storyline across the NFL. But when I stack up Penning and Cross, we're talking about two players that I think are probably going to be going in the top ten. So we're talking about the proper valuation. You think both are going to Yeah, I think there's a real 10? good chance. Wow, I mean, you've okay. got the Giants, you've got Carolina, you've got some landing spots here, and, and you got to get your offensive tackles. I would predict that they're going to go more towards Trevor Penning, who's the big guy, right? The big physical mauler. He's the guy that you got to say, whoa, you got to back it off a little bit. You know, he, he's a he's a guy that's a really aggressive player. Which, by the way, you'd rather have to back oh, somebody yeah, off than for pump sure. him up. Mm-hmm. But you know, every offensive line person in the world, including Bobby Johnson, wants their corn fed Iowa boys. And that's what you're getting in Trevor Penning. And he gets after people and you know, I think he's got that ability to play on the right side where Charles Cross has been a left tackle, and I think you'll like that because I don't know if you want to move around Andrew Thomas at this point, but I think he's got all the traits, he's got that mentality, and you saw you saw Bobby Johnson have a lot of success with Spencer Brown, his teammate back at Northern Iowa, and that could be pretty tempting for him to uh, – uh, not go back to the well that gave them a really quality starting. No, nobody expected Spencer Brown to be a starter in year one, but no, by week four, did. week four, they found a way to get him on the line. And by the way, it's funny, and I remember, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but I remember going to the Senior Bowl last year, or I was watching the tape of the Senior yeah. Bowl last year, and I was very excited to, to watch him. He did not have a great senior no. ball, if I remember right. He kind of yeah. got he got he got put on skates that whole week, and then I never thought he was going to be able to start in year one. It's all traits, and I think that's a credit to Bobby Johnson, right. right? I mean, a really good offensive line coach that has found good production out of a lot of players, whether that's been Deion Dawkins or the, a revolving door at left guard, getting players like Ike Bakker and Rick Bates to come in. Ryan Bates, excuse me, Rick Bates is the is the nickname <laughs> there to come in and be really good players that were not necessarily on the radar. And so Spencer Brown, I thought there was no chance he's going to play. Yeah. I thought this was like a, a utility blocker, maybe a big tight end at times. No, by week four, they said, no, we got to play musical chairs here. We're going to kick Darrell Williams, the guy we just paid a decent amount Into of money guard, yeah. to be our right tackle. You're going to play guard because we got to get this guy on the field. And the Bills offensive line was different when that happened. And I think that's a credit to not only you know Bobby Johnson, his ability to coach all line, but Spencer Brown and his rare physical traits. I mean, size and athleticism, it's pretty special. Who are some of the other guys that you think Giant fans should have their radars up for at five and seven that we haven't mentioned? Oh, you know, it's, it's a challenging question because I think you kind of laser in on, on the guys, Ajabu, Thib- Thibodeau, Cross, uh, uh, Penning. Those guys all make a lot of sense. But, yeah, I think we have to live in a reality that there's a lot of other players that are in play. And, you know, I know that it's never popular when I bring up the, the name Kyle Hamilton, but he's that type of special talent. And I feel like the Giants are pretty set at safety. But sometimes you have to ask yourself that question about, all right, is this player just legitimately best player available? And let me th- throw this wrinkle in there because everybody says, oh, well, you know, safety's not worth a high pick like that. I would say that Kyle Hamilton in today's NFL is a very, very, very valuable player because you're seeing teams play more and more cover two and two high safety looks. The benefit of a player with Kyle Hamilton is he can trigger from deep and and give you that player that you don't have in the box. And now Wink usually won't do that, Wink Martindale, with the way he plays, but he can use a 235-pound missile that can almost play linebacker if you want passing situations, blitz, cover a tight end. I mean – there are ways to use them even in that system that's pretty deadly, Especially right? with, with some of the offenses that are in the NFC East that, that 
really challenge you with pace and space. And there's some good tight ends in the division. And you know, Dallas Goddard's in there. You got to deal with him every year. And how Scott Turner in Washington likes to manufacture some touches. You need that guy that can play in space, come yeah. downhill, trigger, and cover. And I think that a player like Kyle Hamilton's useful for every team. But I can look at that division and say, this is a player for the NFC East that could be really useful. How about the corners in this class, the yeah. top two? Oh, you, man. Do you think they're legit five and seven overall guys in this class? Yeah, I, I do. You're talking Sauce Gardner. You're talking Derek Singley. Mm-hmm. I, I love Trent McDuffie. I like Andrew Booth. I think we've got four really, really premier guys. And, yeah, you know, Wink Martindale is going to leave those corners on an island, right? There's going to be those situations where you've oh, got to yeah. play man-to-man coverage. And, I mean, I, I don't know how you don't watch Derek Stingley in 2019 at LSU and feel like that's not an answer. Andrew Booth, who well, I the think is – that after you watch him in 2019, then you watch him in 2020 yeah, there's, and 2021. There's, there's a lot of questions. <laughs> there's a lot of questions. That's a fair point, John. But, but when they were at their best, they, when they were at their best, and I know it's been two years since we've seen Derek Stingley at his best – no corner has played like Stingley in 2019. No, we true. might be talking about the number one pick if the if that if that continued for a couple more seasons. 100%. How about Sauce? I like Sauce. I don't I don't necessarily agree that I would love him for the Giants because I think that he's a bit more of a of an outside zone player. I, I think he can play some press man coverage. Yes, he did play a lot of press man in college. He did a ton, but I think when you've seen him with some of the more speedy, shifty guys, he gets really, really grabby. And so if you're going to isolate Sauce in an island, I think that there's appeal – but there's other players that I like more for the Giants. For other teams, I might say Sauce is clearly the best option. But if I'm going to play a ton of man-to-man, I'm going to gravitate more towards Stingley or Booth or even Trent McDuffie. Interesting. We're going to have you on again before we, uh, before the draft, Joe, for sure, to get more of as you, you guys do every player. <laughs> and I, we haven't even talked about the mid-rounds. Unfortunately, we're out of time. So I'll be in touch. We'll have you on again before the draft. We appreciate the Of course, the time, John. Always a pleasure. Thank Joe you. Joe Marino from the Draft Network. We thank you for joining us. We'll be back with Eric at home from Yahoo Sports right after this. We are back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by AWS, proud sponsor of the New York Football Giants. John Schmelk with you, and now we're joined by our cleanup hitter, our final guest from the 2022 NFL Combine on Big Blue Kickoff Live. It feels like we've been here for two weeks. It's only been four days, but... Yeah, I'm... I wouldn't say I'm ready to go home, but I, I've gotten a lot, and uh, it's a tiring week. It's a long week for the evaluators, probably longer for them than it is for us in some ways, but we make the most of it and happy to be here, man. And it's fun. So let's start there, man. You've been scouring the floor here. I've seen you running around talking to uh, NFL decision makers, talking to prospects. Yeah. What are some of the top three or four things that you've learned this week that maybe you didn't know coming in? Good question. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, you obviously start with the kind of the big picture and work backward, right? I mean, I think it's it's – what my eyes told me when I was looking at, you know, players this, this fall and this winter uh, matches up with what I've heard from evaluators. This just isn't one of those years, and I'm sorry to bear the news with two teams picking – or a team with two picks in the top seven. It's just not one of those years where there are going to be a lot of grand slam picks at the top of the trap. It doesn't mean there can't be productive football players. It just lacks a little bit of that pizzazz, that juice, that extra layer of, of uh, talent up top. But – you know, maybe that's overblown a little bit, but it's certainly been a conversation as far as the trade activity, right? You know, you know, obviously, if there the more of those types of players are up there, the more trade calls there are. At this point, it's been a little slow, so you know, that's maybe one of the bigger picture items that's kind of you know, re- reemerged. So, if the Giants are looking to trade down, they are probably not feeling too good about that at this point in the process. At this point, but. A lot can happen, you know, and and you look back at previous years and you sort of say, what was the buzz at the time and what were we talking about come April 1st? Those can be two different things. It depends on where certain players, especially quarterback, fit in in free agency. If we don't have a banner year where, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, all these guys are traded, 
the need for a quarterback goes up. That helps a team like the Giants, or that, that certainly opens up the possibilities of something to happen. So, But, yes, on the surface, as we sit here, you know, early March, that's, that's the way it looks. Who is the quarterback and who's the non-quarterback that could be there at five or seven that you think could motivate another team to say, I need to go up and get one of those picks to get that guy? All it takes is one team to fall in love with a quarterback and there there's a lot of appreciation for Kenny Pickett I've I've I feel like he's almost underrated in some respects you know people start beating him up at the hand size and all this stuff and does he have that highest ceiling but Malik Willis is probably the one that I think a team could fall in love with and it maybe it's the Giants right I mean maybe it's a team already picking in that range Maybe it is a team that needs to move up a little or feels, hey, we just can't afford to let this this opportunity slip. Or move slip. up a lot. Maybe it's the Saints. Maybe it's the it Steelers. One of these teams that have had quarterbacks forever, yep. and it's like the first time they don't have a quarterback in years. Like, yep. Who knows? And we've had regime changes, new GMs, new head coaches. You still don't – you know, we're still trying to figure out what kind of players are they desiring, what, what, what is their level of panic at quarterback. But the non-quarterback who would probably oh, – this is a tricky one. Let me think. Thibodeau? Kyle Hamilton. Hamilton would be one that you'd have to consider. Then you get into the discussion about how valuable a safety is. You yeah. know, you remember when Jamal Adams went sixth, right? I mean, I think, and then was traded for two firsts. There's always that question of, you know, a really good college player at that position may not be worth a top 10 pick. But I in do, his case, I do I, think I they do will. I do think Hamilton's a little bit more versatile than Jamal Absolutely. Adams, right? Yep. I think he's a better cover player. I think he could play up in the box. He can play in a deep halves. You know, he covers so much ground. He's he's very instinctive. He's probably, you know, maybe safety and boy, one other position like center is probably the one where you know, the two spots where you say he's almost the no questions asked top guy at the position. There aren't many of those this year. Some positions usually we'll have, all right, this is the top guy. Here's number two, three, whatever. By the way, we had Dane Brugel around all year today. Yeah. He said the only two positions where we know who the top guy yeah. is. Safety and center. How about that? All right. Same, the same exact thing. I'm just stealing Dane's material now, right? <laughs> that's that's all we got to do. But really, maybe maybe punter, although it's a good year there too. But still, it's it's one of those years where you could make a case for three or four players at a lot of positions being OT1, wide receiver one, quarterback one, what have you. Yeah, and and that's kind of is what kind of makes this tricky, right? I go back and I was, I was saying this to Daniel Jeremiah when he had him earlier in the week. Like this reminds me of the 2013 draft yeah, where, yeah. you know, Luke Fisher, you know, Jokel, yep. Geno Smith, EJ Manuel, That's and right. it's just like you look at the last 15 picks in the first round and in a lot of ways they were better than the first 15 <laughs> picks. Is is this the deal where these boards from team to team are so all over the place where we could have something similar to that where, you know, the back end of this first round could really end up being the sweet spot? Yeah, I mean, it's not as if, you know, there, there's this this insane, uh, you know, variance from one team to the next, but I do think there is there is not anything close to consensus, so you're right. You we're going to see probably at least one or two at least what we consider right now surprises in the top 10 or 12 picks. And, again, I don't know who the team is or what it's going to be, but, you know, Devontae Wyatt from Georgia is somebody that, that has a little bit more appreciation in the defensive tackle um, than I realized coming into the week. So that's another thing I learned. Um, Tavon Walker, I think, is a guy, too, that could be, like, yep. a lot higher than people thought a month ago. Yep. I would say Walker's – if he told me he's a top 10 pick, I wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't. And – how high are we talking, right? And it's going to depend on scheme. It's going to depend on, you know, fit personality-wise and all that. But 
you know, he's definitely that that whole Georgia defense is, is incredible. And it just, you know, they, they have so much talent. You know what that reminds me of? And I'm going to make a basketball reference again. You know how, like, you have all those really good players on Kentucky and you're yeah, like, yeah, right. Well, you know, they were asked to do a specific thing at Kentucky. <laughs> right. But what happens when they get to an NBA team and, and they get to do a lot more outside of that structure? Yeah. You almost feel like you look at that Georgia defense it's such, and this is not a criticism, you right. know, Kirby Smart's trying to win football games. He's pretty damn good at that, too. They just won the national championship. I would use the players that way, too. But how much of those players' abilities are being hidden because of the frame of the system they're being put in in Georgia? I, I mean, well, just use Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. He how transfers was- away from there to, to, you know, like he needed playing time, right? You completely understand why a guy would do it, and he blows up his senior year. So... I mean, imagine him and imagine, you know, Tyson Campbell and all the other guy, Eric Stokes, that underclassmen that left the year before, too. It's just so incredible. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And by the way, the best point in that defense is still there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, right. That's that's the amazing part is that they still are going to have some high end talent last year. To your to your point, Devin Booker was a, a backup at Kentucky. Right. I mean, that's that's to, to your example there. It was funny because I talked to somebody coming into senior bowl week and they said, You'd like to see these Georgia players kind of split up away from all that talent around. So there's a case to be made from separating those guys and seeing how how much merit do they have individually. But to your point, too, some of them didn't get the roles that they should have. You know, that's why criticizing Jordan Davis for playing 25 snaps a game as a nose tackle is a little bit of a fallacy because, you know, did they need him to play on (laughs) passing downs? No. No, because they have really good pass rushers they could put in for Yes. You know, it's, it's uh, you know you mentioned Jermaine Johnson. We actually haven't talked much about him this week. So okay. I think this is a, a good time to do it. I was maybe blown away. Is a little strong. What a like self-aware, smart, well-rounded kid. Yep. When I listened to him at the podium, and I loved his tape at Florida State last year. Yep. Like wins in a bunch of different ways. He actually has that kind of bend that a lot of the guys don't yes, have in this class. Like I could see him. Like honestly, with. The, the stuff and the rumblings about Kayvon Thibodeau, and again, you said it, it only takes one team to fall sure. off with a kid and take yep. him. Like, would I be fall off my chair shocked if Johnson gets picked before Thibodeau in this year's draft? I don't think I would be. It wouldn't be completely stunning. I don't think it – I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't yes. be shocked. That's how I would describe it. I would still say I would, I would probably give Thibodeau a better chance, but again, the way Johnson's ascended and the way he's acquitted himself and the way he – you know, he went down to the Senior Bowl and to me looked like the best player there. I didn't hear his podium session there – but did talk to him in Mobile. No, he and he was the best player in yep. Mobile, by the way. Yep. Very confident in his own abilities. I think he felt like, you know, finally kind of unshackled and got a chance to, you know, chase the quarterback. Well, I said to him, listen, I asked him a question at the podium. I go, so, Jermaine, wh- why do you think your pass rush got unlocked at Florida State? He looks at me, smiles, yeah. and as he laughs, says, they actually let me line up outside the <laughs> offensive tackle. That's, that's right. And I'm like, I just start laughing. I go, yeah. I know, but I had to ask the question and have you say it to right. me. Right, <laughs> and, and it's good when they, you know, you love hearing them say it, right? And, and that was that was one of the things about their their defensive alignment is that, you know, he probably never was going to quite get featured the way he needed to be. And, yeah, turn on the Clemson game and watch him dominate and watch him play against, uh, you know, Ika Mekwanu, you know, NC State, who could be the number one pick in the draft or at least, you know, top. You know, might be gone by the time that you guys pick. Yeah, probably, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he gave them all kinds of fits, so – a little older, you know, you really technically a one-year wonder. Um, you know, is he the most versatile player of all time outside of, you know, where he lines up? Maybe not, but I still like him a lot. And he can stop the run. And that's and he's he, a good and, run and defender. That, and that's what yep. he got from Georgia, right? Yeah. He goes to Georgia. 
He gets the run defense down because Absolutely. you have to you stop have the to run to play at Georgia. For Kirby, yep. You have to. And then he goes to Florida State. And he's like, oh, by the way, look what I can do. Look what I can do off the edge rush in the passer. Yep. I mean, it's hard to – if you were to try to find a part of his game that concerns you, that would dissuade you from picking him, what would it be? Because I, I'm having trouble seeing the holes, to be honest with you. Yeah, if you're part of, like, the analytics crew and you're worried about breakout age being a little later. How you old know, is he? He'll be t- – He's, I think, 23 right now. I yeah, could be. Okay. So we're not talking about a, a guy who's – this isn't Chris Wenke, right? You know, 29-year-old <laughs> rookie or whatever. And, by the way, you would still get a second contract at, at 28, which is yeah. fine. As a first-round pick, yeah, no problem at all. But it, it, it would just suggest that you need to go back and look in, at, at prior years and see on a per-snap basis, you know, how, how – how much did you see there? Again, it's not one year wonder worry, right? That type of thing. I think some of those things are just let's make sure that there was a a good reason for it. And I think there was what we just talked about, which was opportunity and, and role, probably. All right, I think it's fitting uh, before we wrap up here. We should do one more deep dive on the offensive line class yeah. because let's Giant fans are sitting there and they're salivating and to their to their, and they're not wrong. Yeah. The Giants have been trying to find offensive linemen for pretty much 8 or 9 years now and they haven't been able to do it. Yep. They've tried, they've invested draft capital. Yep. And aside from Andrew Thomas with a really good second year it just hasn't worked out. I agree. So, we're assuming Evan Neal and Aquanu are not going to be there. Uh, I mean just looking at Evan Neal, how that man is 340 pounds, looking the way he does. Amazing. How does how do you carry 340 pounds and look like a skinny person? Yeah, photos can be deceiving, right? You know, and I looked at the first the first time I actually saw him was a picture. Well, I, and then I walked by him in the in the right and up here, and I thought to myself, this was a guy who was listed at two three hundred and fifty one pounds in college. He's now three thirty seven. You know, like, he looks like a power forward. He and I don't look that, <laughs> and I mean that in a good way because I'm such a handsome man. No, uh, also I, a tall man. By tall the way, man, yes. yes, he is taller than I am. He is stronger than I am. No, he really did look like he carried that weight extremely well. And it was funny he, talking to him. Like he said, I've never really had a weight problem. I just, you know, but having dropped to this weight, he now kind of feels like. Oh, this is kind of nice. I'm surprised I, he's not testing because he would have tested out of the building in this place. I think he, he just. You know, he and his agent probably just said. I think Demarius Bilbo was his agent, if I'm not if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Just said. People already love us. Don't give him a reason not to. Why are we risking this, right? Like, would it be fun? Maybe he does some stuff at his pro day. I tend to think he's pretty good about what he's hearing from feedback. And I was super impressed by Aquanu with the podium too. What he's a, a charismatic, smart kid. kid. My goodness, like. Uh, son of a his dad's a doctor his mom was an accountant before she started working with the dad the sister's in med school at u chicago right okay pretty good the brother is a linebacker at notre dame his other brother is an is a 2d animator who does if you've watched like a animated show on netflix there's about a 60 percent chance you saw ika mcwan his brother doing that you know it's just like a multi-talented overachieving family i it's it's funny with him because it's like you say, on the one hand, he's super reliable. He's going to get better. But at the same time, his ceiling is really high, too. That's why I don't rule out number one for him. I no, think it's can't. probably still Neil, but, man, he's a mauler in the run game, and I think he has room to grow as a pass bro. All right, now as we wet the Giant fans' appetites, will crush their dreams. Let, <laughs> let's assume those guys aren't there. Yeah. <laughs> the next group, I just had this conversation with Joe, the, the Trevor Pennings, the Charles Cross uh, Bernard Ryman and a lot of people big, very high yep. on him. Um, I don't think he was nearly as good at, at the Senior Bowl as, as Penning was, I agree. for example. Um, how do you sort through that next group? Should they be viable options at five and seven? Is that a little bit too much of a need pick? What's what's your look at the, that second group of tackles? And if you don't go there at five or seven, right? 
are you finding another one that you can plug and play and start a right tackle in rounds two or three? Good question. And Joe is probably one of the better guys you could ask about this. He, he knows this group really well. Um, I would say I personally have Penning ahead of Charles Cross. I don't know if, if fifth or seventh pick is, is – a little, little rich. A little rich. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I mean, again, back to your point about the 2013 draft, you know, Luke, you know, Jokel went second, right? I mean, Eric Fisher, good player, good player. Went first overall, a little bit of an unusual year. This year you may just have to, to, to recalibrate your expectations a little bit, but I would say that's probably likely. I'm just sort of looking at my list of tackles here. I, Tyler Smith from Tulsa is fascinating, and I think he's going to go in the top 50, 60 picks. I think he's going to be a second rounder. Because he's raw. Raw as heck, a lot of penalties, some mistakes. But when you see the athleticism, the power, the flexibility, like he can bend his back and, and re, you know, redirect guys and stuff, it's all natural ability. And you think, my goodness, wh- what do we have here? This could be something really, really special, right O-line coach. But that's a development guy. You know, Max Mitchell from Louisiana is a experienced guy. He plays left and right tackle. Um, I like him. Thought he had an okay senior bowl. Up and down, I yeah, would say. Yeah, yeah some good okay. reps, some bad. Sure. It was. He's the almost the classic swing tackle. Probably a lot like, you know, the UConn kid you guys picked. Yeah, Parrot. And it just it makes you wonder, like, is he a little too low a ceiling guy that that you know you don't you've maybe already seen kind of the best of what he does. I have an unhealthy fascination with Faalele out of Minnesota. He's interesting, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> he said he showed up to campus at four twenty-five. Four twenty-five, and like you know, knowing nothing about football, like he just was this this raw block of clay. I mean, if you can get him to three fifty-five yeah. and like train him for a year, right? Like you could be looking at um uh, the uh, kid the Eagles developed, the rugby player into their left. Jordan Mailata. Jordan Mailata. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. I mean that that's what you could be looking at if you can tighten that up a little bit right now right and like you know it's funny when you start just looking at the raw numbers and say how many guys play in the league at this size you can count on one hand correct how many are even in that where he's currently what did he, what did he weigh in 379 or 383 381 okay. it's 68 something like that but yeah. 35 inch arms like yep. he checks those boxes absolutely moves really well and got better every single year you go back and watch his, his first year of football you know there's some dudes who just can't get around him because of his mass but like obviously People started figuring out, okay, we, we there's some weaknesses we can exploit. Every single year he seemed to kind of fix those, get better. Am I wowed by him, blown away? Like, oh, wow, I, I would take him in the first. I no, don't I don't know about that. Yes. There, I mean, there might be some teams late first who are tempted, but I suspect more likely day two, yes. And and what, what you have is, is going to be really interesting in three years. Yeah, so you're telling me get get your tackle at five and seven if you can. If you can. That seems to be the theme of the answer. If yeah, you can. I figured. All right, final question. And this is I'm going to break the interviewer's cardinal rule and ask it like a three-part question. All right. <laughs> Keep track. Um, one for Part one, as good as Linderbaum is, yeah. can you start thinking about him in this class as a super safe pick at number seven? I feel like... I am the Tyler Linderbaum hater, and I, I don't mean to be. I really am not. I like the kid a lot. I really do. Number one, center value. Uh, we haven't seen one taken in the top 18, 19 picks. I went back 25 picks. years. There 17. has never been a top 10 center, and I think Correct. there was one top 15 center. I think Damian was Woody was the last to go underneath 18, and that was 1999. And Bradbury was around there too, right? Yeah, 18th, Bradbury, I he think, was, 18th. was also. Okay, yeah, yeah. And they're regretting that pick. I mean, he, he, you know, he's played like a second or third rounder. And by the way, his comp to 
Linderbaum is not off. The Very mobile, similar. smart, yeah. competitive wrestler. Yeah. Uh, and Tyler Linderbaum, if he had issues, it was not in the run game. He's a great, great elite run blocker. That's that's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Outside zone, all that stuff. Yes, yep, yep, yep. inside outside zone. I think will be perfect for him. He can move. He's competitive. He you know he loses a snap, he takes it personally. But pass rush wise or pass protection wise, I would say good, not great. That's how I feel about him. He can get overwhelmed by power guys. He's got 30, sub 32 arms. He came in, on, I think, 31 and a half, maybe, or 31 Is that right? and a quarter. Yeah, 30, today, 31 and a quarter, maybe, and right? 296. The 296 doesn't shock me. Like Cam Jurgens, I think, will be even oh, lighter yeah. than that. And by but, the way, as, as a center, you can play at that. And you go, I agree. You want to go back to the early 90s. Like Mark Stepnowski played at like 285, and he was one of the best centers in the league. What was so. Jason Kelsey when he came in? Oh, the yeah, league? he was like 265 yeah, exactly. or whatever. Yeah, no you know, question. it was crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, and then Kelsey's, of course. A guy that I think Linderbaum was compared to early in the process, like, you know, somebody who will lay it on the line for 12 years and be a, a warrior, and he, and maybe he will. I, I don't think I would touch him at seven. I really I agree. Yeah. I, I w- I've been fending Giant fans off about that for a while, yeah. but I had to ask somebody else to get some backup. All right, good. So that was yes. part one. Uh, <laughs> part two, what guards do you think go in the first round? That I could say, all right, if the Giants are waiting till round yep. two to get a guard, they're not going to be there. Is it just Zion and the kid from Texas Kenyon A&M? Green, yeah. yeah. Those two probably, I'm just, again, looking at my list. I don't think Darren Kennard will make it in the first round. I don't I think, think so he's either. a top – 50 60 guy i would say the same for uh you know marquise hayes and and ed ingram from lsu those are probably day two guys uh how about salier i know i know i, I know yes. he's not around one guy but i love him as a versatile day two guy he i just, love him you know what he does really well he stays in front of his man between him you know which is kind of the most important that's thing for the an job lineman to do yes <laughs> go what it's it's a great little story too right like if somehow you guys end up with aiden hutchinson and and, and salier on the same team like not only did they have that battle in the the playoff yeah, game that Salier everybody did well against him he handled them well mm-hmm. they have a history they went back they had a thing at one of the rivals camps when they, they were really? yes coming out of high school and that 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 little rivalry has not gone away. Gone away. I love it. I, I, I'm praying that they end up on the same team somehow. But to your question, I think he could be a center. He could be a guard. He could be a serviceable tackle. He's played outside a lot. I like, you know, Jamari Salyer a lot. I think he's a good player, even if his physical skills are, you know, fine. Yeah. Fine, just exactly. fine. How how deep is the interior offensive line class here? Can the Giants find guys that they can plug and play just as a you know average starting type guy with their third round pick with like maybe the pick at the top of the fourth or does it? That's get pretty, about the edge of it. I it'll think, get pretty thin there. Yeah, exactly. And they have the two thirds, right? The mm-hmm. Giants yep. do. Yeah, yep. two first, second, two thirds, right, and then two fifths, I guess. But um, yeah, I would say. After the third round, I'm I'm less jacked about this this interior crop. It's not bad. We mentioned Jurgens from uh, from Nebraska, another sort of zone center, smaller guy. Sean Ryan from from UCLA is a tackle who I think is being projected as a guard. That's another one. You know, uh, Dylan Parham from Memphis yeah. would be another smaller center. That's the, that's another theme is that other than Zion. Who, who, can did, pl- who can play center? And who did 32 reps? Who today did 32 reps? Today. Who's played tackle? He's played guard. There really aren't, isn't a whole lot of mass among the centers. But, yeah, Kenyon Green, I think, is a really good football player. I think he's a first-round pick, but is there a possibility he slips out? Sure. Any yeah. shot Zion slips out of the first round at this point or no? <sighs> a lot of people like him. I'd have oh, to wow. double-check on he's that one. I don't know. He's such a solid kid. I like, like, he's a great kid. You want to talk about a safe pick in a draft where there's a lot of like yep. unknowns? Zion Johnson's a safe kid. 
He's a worker. Yeah, I saw him down at the Senior Bowl, and it was the day of the, the rainy practice, right, the Wednesday practice. And I saw him in the morning before that, and I said, what do you, what do you think about this rain? They're going to move into the – and he's like, I hope we play outside. Yeah, and he was out there man. in the rain, you know. And he was the guy right when the rain was coming down, practicing his snapping technique while all the other players were going to grab towels and get inside. So, you know, those coaches will, will eat that, uh, you know, what up, right? Eric, before we say goodbye, tell yes. the folks where they can find your work. Yeah, I'm over at Yahoo Sports. Uh, uh, cranking up I'll, I'll have some draft rankings out next week I've, I've, I've figured out the technical side or I should say somebody else has figured it out for me uh, Twitter is Eric with a C underscore Ed home and uh, yeah today's my last full day down here so uh, enjoy the tweets while you can safe drive home my man all right thank you Eric Edholm from Yahoo Sports we thank everybody for joining us all week long on Big Blue Kickoff Live if you missed any of the other guests or shows make sure you go check out the archive on the Giants mobile app or at Giants.com slash podcast on the um, mobile site. Or, of course, you can go to any of your podcast platforms and go to Big Blue Kickoff and find the archive. We've also had a bunch of giant huddles pop up this week. We had Mike Tannenbaum from ESPN, Jordan Reed from ESPN, and we had uh, Dane Brugler. I'm not sure if it's up yet. If not, it'll be coming up shortly uh, from The Athletic from today. And then we have uh, Cynthia Freeland and Greg Cosell coming up over the weekend. So a lot of people coming up. Make sure you guys go check it out. Much like Eric, we are going to head home as well. Uh, We thank everyone for being with us all week long. Uh, Appreciate you guys checking out our content. And make sure you check us out next week as we recap everything that happened over the weekend. I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live.